Okay, so today we're going to be discussing church membership. Um, again, I, I think it's a good, um, kind of a fine, foundational message that uh, I don't know who, who all in this room was here two years ago when we did this uh, out in our backyard, but uh, I, I actually had a lot of feedback uh, from that sermon I preached from different people over the last couple of years that it, they said it helped them. And so, I just, I went back and, uh, not preaching the exact same sermon, but pretty similar. And so, this is probably something we'll do as a church, just every so often, every few years maybe, as, as different people come into the church. And, um, but that, yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about. There's no text we're going to be turning to. We'll be looking at, uh, we'll be flipping in our Bibles a few times today. But, um, but just by way of introduction. The whole subject of church membership. Um, we live in a day, a day and age where people, for the most part, not everybody, but don't want to be bothered. Um, it's kind of the culture we live in. In many ways, people desire to be left alone. You guys probably know that. I mean, we're all kind of, have been kind of, kind of grown up in that culture, it seems like, just more and more. And, and on a large scale, obviously this is not true for everybody, but on a large scale, there's, there's no sitting on the front porches anymore like there used to be. Um, having conversations with one another with our neighbors. Uh, people, for the most part, are autonomous, self-reliant, independent islands who desire to be left to themselves. Um, which, again, may be the challenge of uh, going and knocking on somebody's door wanting to talk about Jesus Christ. But, uh, you know, Proverbs 18.1 warns of this type of, that, this type of mindset that we can all fall into. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. It's just not a good state of mind to be in, to want to isolate oneself. And so this is not God's desire for God's people, as we're going to see, uh, for the church of Jesus Christ. So I want to, I think I'm just reminding you guys, I don't think I'm attempting to convince anybody in here, but, but just by way of reminder today, uh, just look through some of the teaching of the New Testament in regards to, to being a part of a local church. Um, a local church, a local fellowship of believers like we are here. Uh, everybody's a member here. But which is best expressed in, in what we call membership of a local church. Now there's not going to be a, a clear command, as I stated earlier, or a mandate in the New Testament for church membership. Because that's, that's many people's argument that you'll meet that uh, they, don't, they, don't, they don't sense that they need to be a part of a, a local church as far as remember because they say the New Testament doesn't tell me to be. And so that's the kind of argument you'll hear. Again, there is no, there's not a proof text that you're going to turn to that says, I command you to be a member of a local church. Just like there's not a proof text you can turn to with the word, and see the word Trinity. Uh, but it's implied. That's what I stated earlier. Church membership, I believe, is, is strongly implied in the New Testament. And that word just means to strongly suggest the truth or existence of something that's not expressly stated. And I believe that's what the Bible has to say about church membership. Now the church, the word church, uh, or, or when we think of the church, what is the church? The church, and I know you guys know this, the church is not the building, right? We say we're going to church. Actually, we're going to a building where we gather, where the church gathers. 
And I believe you guys understand that. So the church is not the church is made up of individual people, individual members that we just read about in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, individual members who God has called to Himself. So the Greek word for church is ekklesia, and it's got two different meanings. Okay, it's it's this: it's being called out. It's a people called out, but it has this meaning as well: a called out assembly or congregation. I don't know if you guys could tell, but I was trying to emphasize those words in Exodus. Assembly and congregation. I think congregation was used four times. Assembly was used once. Um, Peter, or not Peter, Stephen in Acts 7.38, you don't have to turn there, it's just one verse. But in Acts 7.38, Peter uses the word ecclesia to talk about Israel in the Old Testament. That's, that's one of the. There was many passages I could have turned to, but I, I read the one in Exodus. He says, "This is this is Peter before the Sanhedrin, in Acts seven thirty eight. He says, "This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness." That word congregation is the word ecclesia. So, so Peter used that word to refer to the to the assembly of the Israelites of the nation of Israel in the wilderness. Now that word ecclesia. It can have. It can also refer to any assembly of people, which is which is. Um, but but most of the time, when we see it in the New Testament, it's talking specifically about the assembly of those who are called out, the church of Jesus Christ. So it's really important to remember. That's why, uh, you know, that that's part of understanding what the church is. The church is an assembly. That's that's what identifies the church. We're called out. We're called out individually, right? We're called out of darkness into light individually. But the church is the called out ones who are the congregation. That's part of the identification of the church. They assemble, in other words. So that's one of the real easy um, decisions that I made back during, um, you know, during when COVID first hit, whether we should keep assembling. Because God is, that's, that's who the church is. The church is not believers just one in this house, one in this house. No, part of being the church is we are the called out ones, the congregation, the assembly of believers. So that's real important. Um, on, the, on the front of your bulletin, I'm sorry. Uh, no, here's, right here. I didn't have to write this quote down today. I, it's on the front of your bulletin, okay? I thought this would be a good time to read it. Before we uh, get into the heart of the sermon, Charles Spurgeon says this, I believe that every Christian ought to be joined to some visible church. That is, that is his plain duty according to the Scriptures. God's people are not dogs, else they might go about one by one, but they are sheep, and therefore they shall be in flocks. As only Spurgeon can say. So that's, that's kind of the idea. That's part of the church as we are the called out, Assembly. And so, just real quickly, Romans 1 7, some of the verses that talk about us being called out, and, and these verses are more just uh, the effectual call, being called out of darkness into light, called to Christ. Romans 1 7, Paul says to the, to the church at Rome that you are called as saints. That means holy or set apart. 1 Corinthians 1 9, to the Corinthian church, he said, you have been called into fellowship with Christ. 
1 Peter 2.9 that we looked at several months ago. You are called out of darkness into His marvelous light. And so yes, we are called individually to Christ, but we are part of the assembly. And so being, before we move, before we get into our, uh, we're going to look at six arguments uh, for membership in a local church. <coughs> I thought it'd be real important to, to uh, speak about being, being part of the invisible church, the universal church, right? What is the universal church? That is God's elect around the world. True believers. And the reason it's called the invisible church is because nobody really knows who they are except God Himself. But the, but the universal or, or invisible church, they are the true believers that's around the world. You could say of all time, but presently in the world right now, it's made up of believers and believers only. So before we move on to look at church membership, I thought it would be very important to speak to this for just a moment. Before we take a look at being a member of a what we call a local or a visible church, right? What's a visible church? It's just the people who identify themselves with the church. But it's made up of the tares and the wheat, right? So before we talk about church membership, are you part of the universal church, right? That's the important question to ask. As important as it is to be a part of a, a, a member of a local church, what a tragedy it would be, and what a tragedy it is that there's probably countless people that are in hell that may have been a member of a local church for a long time, but were never a part of God's universal church. Truly part of God's universal flock. 1 John, 5, 1 John 1, 5 and 6 says, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So a question for you today is, is are you walking in the light? Right? Not, not perfectly, but does that describe your life? Or would it be described as my life was for several years, who I identified myself as a Christian, but really my life was that of darkness. And so, nothing could be more tragic than being a member of a local church just think of that. member of a local church for 20, 30, 40 years and then dying and standing before Jesus Christ and hearing those awful words that He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only those who did the will of my Father. He said, many will cry out, Lord, Lord. And then you just see the religious activities. We did this, we did this, we did this in Your name. Only to hear, depart from Me, I never knew You. So those would be full of people probably that were maybe members of local churches, but were not part of God's true church. And so, obviously, the, the command from Scripture always, if, if, if your heart is beating and, and you don't know where you stand with Christ, is to repent, to turn from sin, humble yourself and come to Christ. Right? He says, whoever comes to Me, I'll never cast out. Never cast out. So, if you ever, if you are ever in question of that, you know where to go. Turn to Him. Turn to Christ. Right? We get one life. This life is like a vapor. This life is like a mist. And then it's over. And then it's eternity. And there's no second chance. There's no purgatory. It's been appointed for a man once to die. And after that, the judgment. So, while your heart is beating, 
and you're, and you're in this room and you do not know Christ, turn from your sin and trust in the One. You know, because death is a reality and it's coming for all of us. And there's only one way to defeat our biggest enemy in death and that is to be found in Christ, the One who already defeated it. Amen? Alright, so now let's... Um, we're going to look at six arguments uh, for membership in a local church, okay? This is not... I don't claim this is any kind of exhaustive list, but it's things back when I studied this that I that I saw in here that that I see that it, it, it's almost like building a case, right? And it's and it's in, I see it as implied in the New Testament, um, like obviously Spurgeon saw it as well. So, six arguments for membership in a local church. Number one, um, these may be hard to write down if you're writing notes, but uh, you know you may just do the best you can. Um, the first thing we see early on in the New Testament is that when a person comes to Christ through repentance and faith, they are brought or added to the church. Okay, We see these in Acts. If you'll turn over to Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to spend any time in each one of these passages, but uh, I think it will become clearer as we look at a few of them uh, in a row here in sequence. Acts 2... Verse 40 and 41. And this is um, Peter preaching to the Jews. He had just preached the Gospel. Just really preached the um, long Gospel message. Quoting a lot of the Old Testament. And in Acts 2, verses 40 and 41, he says this, And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word, okay, in other words, they believed the gospel, they were baptized, and that day were added about 3,000 souls. Okay, so you see people believe, baptized, added 3,000 souls. Acts 5.14. Turn to Acts 5.14. And all the more, in Acts 5.14, all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number. So now we see they're not just added, but they're added to their number. So there's a little more clarity there. Because I, I used to think, okay, they were added. They were just added to the universal church. But as we, as we look at these verses, we see there's a little more to it than that. Turn to Acts 16.5. <clears throat> Acts 16, verse 5. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Who was increasing in number? The churches. Individual churches. Not just the universal church, but individual churches. Which implies these believers, as they're believing and being baptized, they're being added to churches. To specific numbers in churches. And so, that's the first thing we see, that when, 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 when people believe, they're not just... Because that's what a lot of people, I think, think in our culture, within American, American Christianity, that you just... You know, you, you, maybe even guys that mean well, you go and you evangelize and they believe, and just as long as they believe, they're just, they're just good out there. No. What we see in Scripture is they're, they're to be added. They're to, they're to be added to a local church, Right? Because what is the Great Commission? It's not just to get converts. 
It's make disciples. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, and then so the next question is what did they do when they were brought in? Now turn back to Acts 2. When they were brought in, what did they do? Again, they weren't just, they weren't just okay, they believed the gospel and now just figure it out on your own. That's not what it ever is in Scripture. Acts 2, verse 42, so the very next verse, what we read earlier. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. You see that? This is where we get some of what a New Testament church looks like. We come, we sit under the apostles' teaching. That's just simply the Word of God, guys. And fellowship, right? We gather together. We have fellowship with one another under the teaching of the Word of God. The breaking of bread. Primarily that means the Lord's Supper. It can also mean having meals together, but I think primarily that's referring to the Lord's Supper. And to prayer, right? So we see that, first of all, of, um, that, that people are added to individual churches upon belief in Christ. Secondly, what we see... Um, the, the section that we read in 1 Corinthians 12 for our scripture reading, guys, many of the, I mean, those things are true just when believers come into the body of Christ. We are members of Christ's body. Okay? We are members of Christ's body universally. But there's more to it than that because you have to remember, we have to remember who were these letters written to, these apostles? They were written to churches, local churches. So the context of what we read in 1 Corinthians 12 is one body, many members, different functions that would be, that would be lived out within that body. Okay? When you think of, when you think of all the epistles, the, the epistles of the New Testament were written to churches. Most of them were. In the case of the few that weren't, they were written to individuals. For example, 1 and 2 Timothy. Titus and Philemon. These were written to not just individuals, but to leaders of the church to tell us how a church should function. Everything. What we're going to see is you really can't make sense of much of the New Testament apart from church membership. Um, and so, also, when a believer moved to a different city, guys, the church often wrote a letter of commendation to his new church. You can see that that was done in the New Testament day during that time. That's why some churches still practice that today. That was a practice that they did in the early church. They would write a letter of commendation to his new church. And so the, these kinds of letters would not be possible to write if these believers were not known by the leaders, accountable, known and accountable to their pastors or elders. You see, they're, they're part of a local body. They're moving to a different city. And so they would send letters to where they're going about this person. Also, if you think of Revelation chapters 2 and 3, guys, John writes seven letters. To who? Seven individual churches in Asia Minor. And so all of these churches had different issues that the Lord addressed. And so what do we see in, in, these, in these epistles and in these, these seven letters written to these local churches in Revelation? What do we see? I believe we see the doctrine of the local church. 
I don't know if you've ever thought of that. That, that. That's what you would call the doctrine of the local church. And I don't know if you're aware, but really as long as I can remember since I've been a Christian and since I've been involved in evangelism, the, 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 the doctrine of the local church is really under attack. It's, it's kind of just, yeah, it's not important. You don't need to belong to a church. Just believe and you, you know you don't need to... You don't need to be. You don't need to belong to another church. You can do. You can do your Christian faith over here, but that's not what's modeled in the New Testament. Everything, all of this, is within the context of a local church. And obviously, like all of God's word, these letters that were written to them, to these churches that we see, they're written to them, but they're for us because we we're, we we face the same struggles and battles. So, thirdly. In the book of Acts, there is some terminology used that makes sense only if describing local churches with a known number of members. Okay, and when I say members, just it's just a it's just a a committed group of people who have made some kind of commitment, and that that whatever that ceremony or whatever you want to call it, it the Bible doesn't explain. How we do that, but but it's but but the whole idea what what's implied in church membership commitment accountability that's what we see, and so in the book of Acts turn to Acts six we're going to see some terminology used that makes sense only if describing local churches with with people who are known in other words in other words a known number of members Acts chapter six verse three this is where the first deacons are being established in the early church. Acts 6.3 Therefore, brethren, select from among you, okay? Select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, who, who we may put in charge of this task. Seven men from among you. From among who? From among the universal church? From among people who just kind of drift in and out? No, it's from among you. These are people you know. These are people that you know what their life looks like, right? Acts 6.5, two verses down. That the statement found approval with the whole congregation. Again, you have a specific group of people who are helping in this decision of a deacon, right? It, it, this implies a group of people who are known. These, these men whom they're choosing, they are known. If that makes sense. Acts 15.22. Turn Acts 15.22 really quick. This is at the Jerusalem Council when they were um, settling some issues on the uh, false teaching that was being preached probably in the Galatian church. But, But we're not... It, we don't really need to get into the context here just to see our point that we're making today. In Acts 15.22, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. What you see is the leaders and the whole church coming together to make this decision to choose from among them. To, from among who? I know this is really simple. This is really just kind of over and over. But what we're seeing are local bodies. That's what we're seeing. 
And you guys are probably going, yeah, I get that. But, but again, this, this kind of church, being a, being a member of a local church, guys, is really, is really um, disdained by a lot of people. And so it's real important to just see how it's just, it's just there. And we just kind of read over it. That you have these local churches with people who are known, leaders, congregations. And so, so beloved, how do we make sense of much of the New Testament apart from, again, it's the implied reality of local churches made up of committed, faithful members who are known and who can be counted. Right? We see them being counted. So it's not just a just kind of a random people who come through the door maybe are here once every two months. No, th- these people are known. These people are committed. So fourthly, we're going to look at church government real quickly. I'm going to read three, three, three scriptures and then, and then make some comments about it. Hebrews 13, 17. And you guys can, um, you can just mark these down. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read them off my page here. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Okay? Acts 20, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. And then 1 Peter 5.24, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proven to be examples to the flock. Okay, so when we look at these three passages, I'll just say this, that, that, that these elders or, or pastors in these, in these verses, there's some things that are, that are commanded of them by the, by, by, the, by the Lord through the Apostle Paul, through Peter. They are to... They're to, they're to be on guard for all the flock. They're to provide oversight. They're to keep watch over their souls. They're to shepherd the flock, being an example as one who will give an account, right? That's what we see in these texts. But the point I want to make is this. That, that beloved, they can do all of those things, right? Only if they know it is who is a part of the flock. Right? It's not because who who is it that they're that they're to be on guard for all the flock, not just for whatever Christian may be in your city. No, it's for the flock. And so the the only way that they can do these again is that they know who it is. That's a part of their flock. So you see how all this ties together. People believe they're brought into the church. They're baptized. They're added to these local flocks. It even says in, in the verse in Acts, in Acts 20, 28, it says the flock that He has made you an overseer. So it's an individual flock. The Holy Spirit in Acts 20, 28 says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So it's the specific flock that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You're responsible 
for this flock, for this group of people that you know them, they're counted, they're, they're numbered, they're committed, they're here. And so it, it just gets down to this, guys. I am responsible to look after the souls of this local church. You see that? That's what it's saying. Those who are committed to 116 Bible Church, that's who I am committed to look over. And this is expressed, again, through what we would call membership. Which is expressed through, again, some kind of, the Bible doesn't spell it out. That would look different in every church. We've just kind of modeled it off of the way Sovereign Grace does it. But it's expressed through some kind of covenant commitment really to love and serve one another. That's what it is. To be committed to obey Christ and to love and to serve one another. That's what it is. And so I'm not going to give an account for shepherding Bowlegs Baptist Church. Okay? No matter how poor of a job I do or well of a job I do here, I'm not accountable for that flaw. The Bishop of Bowlegs is. Remember, bishop and elder mean the same thing. But no, you see see how simple it is, guys? There's individual flocks, individual leaders. And I'm I'm also not responsible to shepherd those who are not committed to this church. In other words, people may may come here and there. I'm not, until they are committed to this church, through what we would call membership, they're not, and, and I'm not saying... I'm not saying I, I don't in some re- in regard. But the way the Scriptures has it laid out, it's only those who are part of that flock is the one who the leaders, they're responsible for. And in the same way, those who are in a certain flock, right, the congregation, are not responsible to submit to leaders of a different church. See, it's really, really simple. You guys are not responsible to submit to, um, you know, John MacArthur. As much as you may like John MacArthur and listen to him, he's not your shepherd. And so, Christian, you are commanded to submit to and obey your leaders. But the question you have to ask is, who are your spiritual leaders. This would be asked for all everybody who's, who, who is a part of a church, or maybe who isn't a part of a church. Who's your spiritual leaders? Is it your favorite preacher on Sermon Audio? As much as you may listen to somebody on Sermon Audio, he is not your pastor if you're not in his, in his flock. And so, if you're not a member of a local church, who is it? Who is it that you are to submit to? Who is it that's going to look over your soul? The way the Bible talks about the pastor elder. These are just questions that we ask that we can see so clearly that being a part of a local church is what answers all these questions. And then fifthly, the fifth argument, we can see it in church discipline. Turn to Matthew 18. So again, these things are implied when we just look at Scripture as a whole we can begin to see it really makes the new, the new testament 
make more sense with some of these verses, that all these letters are written in context of a local church. Matthew 18, 15-17, okay? 18, 15-17. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or, uh, one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to who? Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So who is the church if there are not known, committed, counted members? Just really basic questions. Who it is? Who is the church then? Or is it saying, if we tell it to the church, does that mean we just tell it to the universal church? You know, we got a, we got a brother who won't repent, so, so I guess that means I call grace to you and, and tell Phil Johnson, hey, could you broadcast this over? That's silly. But people who want to argue against the doctrine of the local church, that's how ridiculous it is. All of this is, when the, is within the context. And I think, I think the Holy Spirit just assumes that it's so obvious that it shouldn't even be an argument. That we are to be part of a local church. And again, we'll see it in the Great Commission. And then one other passage dealing with church discipline, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 13, we'll see that church discipline doesn't always look the same either here. But it's 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13, really just looking at that last verse. But verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and the swindlers or with idolaters. For then you would have to go out of the world. But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? And then really this last verse, guys, is what I wanted to emphasize. But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. So we hear this language, inside, outside. So so in both of these texts that we read, Matthew 18 and this one here, um, there to be, if, if a man doesn't repent, in other words, the goal of church discipline is always restoration. But if a man doesn't repent, it says they're to be put out, removing, okay, excommunicated. Now, what does that even mean to be put out unless they were in, right? It's like put them out. Put them out of what? Put them out of the church. So this implies that they were in. They were a part of. And so again, it makes no sense apart from a local church with members who are counted, who are known. And without membership in a local church, there is no accountability. Which I believe is a lot of issue, a lot of the issues people have with church membership is the whole idea of commitment and accountability. Those are the two things that I think maybe many people, not all people, but many people may, may struggle with. Because again, it, there's not a verse you can turn to. And, and so, but without, without church commitment, there is no, there is no accountability. There's some of these larger megachurches where there is, you can go there for 
five years and nothing is known about you, nothing is known about anybody, there's no membership, there's no nothing, you just come, have the experience and leave. And that, but that's not a model of the New Testament. Okay? And then, and then the final argument, guys, is the one another's. You guys remember when we went through those? I'm just going to read some of them. And just ask yourself as we're going. That, that's really all I'm going to do is read and think about how these are even possible. How do they make sense? How do we make sense of all these one another's throughout the New Testament apart from the local church? When they're written to local churches. You can't make sense of them. Um, different sources said there's 59 one another's in the, in the New Testament. I'm going to read 22. I think these are pretty much the ones we went through. But just think about this. Within the confines, the context of individual churches. Love one another. Honor one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Again, is this talking about you and a believer in Minnesota? No. This is within individual churches. Uh, greet one another. Serve one another. Bear with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Teach and admonish one another. Encourage one another. Spur on one another to love and good deeds. Do not slander one another. Live in harmony with one another. Offer hospitality to one another. Clothe yourselves with humility to one another. Uh, we have fellowship with one another. Be at peace with one another. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Now yeah, you can do some of these things with a believer who obviously is not in your church. But the emphasis is within the flock. Within the flock that, that, you're, that you're a part of. So those are just some arguments. I'm sure you could come up with more. But I think those are strong arguments that are implied in the Scriptures where we see that God places a high value on, on being a committed, committed individual to a, a local church, which we would call membership. And so, so secondly, and this will not be near as long, some benefits. Some benefits of being a member. What are some benefits? What are, these are some benefits that you could explain to somebody who maybe is resisting being a member of a church, okay? Some benefits. Well, first of all, how about all the one another's we just read? Those are great benefits, right? And when it gets right down to it, those are some of the best benefits. Having brothers and sisters in your life who will hold you accountable, who will love you, and whom you can love in return, whom you can encourage, they'll encourage you, you can spur one, one another on. All of these things takes place in a body of Christ, a local body of Christ. It's about the church loving you. And really, 1 Corinthians 12, that we, we didn't dig into it, but it's really about, right, God puts a group of people together, and right, we're not all hands, we're not all feet, we're not all mouths. We have different gifts, and it's about putting a group of people together who you can love your brother and sister in Christ with the way God has gifted you. It's that simple. And that's not going to take place if you're not a committed to a body. It's not. I've been a part of those churches. Or there may be 1,500 people there, but I don't know a soul when I've been there three years. Nobody knows me. And so, I would much rather be, um, you know, if you could picture in your mind a small church of about 10 or 12 people who are committed to loving one another, I'd much, be, much rather be a part of that 
than something big and impressive. And it's like herding cattle in and out. And you don't know anybody's name. They don't know you. Your life can be falling apart, but nobody knows anything. And vice versa. So I think this is the model that we see in the New Testament. The local church is where new believers, right? We saw it in Acts. Are brought in, right? They're baptized and discipled. That's the pattern. That's the Great Commission. That's what I pray for. Not only that God will bring like-minded believers here, like-minded families, humble people who just want Christ, right? But I pray that God will save people. You know, when, when we preach the Gospel to people, when you share the Gospel with your friend, that's what I pray that God will, as He sees fit, that He'll, He'll find it in His grace and mercy to add people to our church. New believers that we can baptize and that we can disciple. Listen to the Great Commission, guys. I know you guys know it. But listen to how it so applies to what we're talking about today. All authority has been given to me, this is Christ, in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples, right? So that's the first line is through the proclamation of the Gospel. A disciple is a follower of Christ. But they have to be converted, right? First. So, so obviously we go and we preach the Gospel to the whole creation. That, that implies evangelism. Go therefore and make disciples of all, nation, of all the nations, baptizing them. Who's the them? The one who have been made disciples. The one who has believed baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. Who's the them? The ones who are disciples and the one who has been baptized. Not as some people would say, the government leaders. No, we're to teach baptized disciples. That's who we're to teach. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, that? You see, it's just that simple. That's our... That's our commission. Go preach, and as God saves, He's the only one who can save, then they come into the local church, they're added to whatever number, whatever church they come in, they're baptized, and then they're discipled. And those are the ones we teach. Those are the ones we teach. The church grows. That's the the pattern. Uh, Turn to Ephesians 4. We're looking at another benefit. The benefit, of, again, of being a part of a local church. This is, these are the things I would say to somebody who hasn't made the decision, whether it's our church or not, but maybe it would be a family member or a friend, that, man, there's some benefits that you're missing out on. Ephesians 4, 11-16. And He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Of course, we know there's not apostles and prophets anymore. Those offices are, are not operating anymore. But He gave these leaders, right? For why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. To equip God's people. To the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, as a result, as a result of what? Well, of, 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 of God giving us pastors and teachers to teach, to equip. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed 
here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Where is this taking place? In the local church. Now, I will say this. We have got so much access to media nowadays that you can listen to great Bible teaching, right? But the, but the pattern in the New Testament is still the local church. is where disciples are to be built or, or, or discipled. So as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building of of itself up in love. And so... These things take place primarily in the local church. And the emphasis is on the emphasis is on in the local church is, is always let me say this because it, it's in context with what we read. That, that God has given pastors and teachers. You know, we can get a lot of things wrong in, in the local church, but one thing we must never get wrong, and I would say this to anybody if you're looking for a church, that the Word of God better be being preached in that church. That is the main thing. That is my main job description. If there's a lot of other job descriptions, but if, if, the, if the Word of God is not being preached uh, expositionally, primarily, explained, and the Gospel's not being preached, then um, in a certain church, then don't ever recommend somebody go to that church. Doesn't matter how good the music is or what they offer for the kids. The, the first and center thing is always, is the Word of God being preached? Verse by verse, explain why? So that we're no longer tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. I know people who have been believers longer than I have, and they're tossed. They're really saved, but they just... Everything confuses them because they don't have any foundation because they've never really been part of a healthy church where there was preaching and teaching of the Word of God. So that's just very important. Hebrews 10, 24-25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Wow, there's so much in that verse that, that, that applies to being a part of a local church with other believers. Committed, you're, you're committed not only to Christ, but to one another. And again, these are benefits. Just think about, guys, how we, how we stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You guys do that for me. And I know you do it for each other. When we don't forsake our own assembling together. You see, it's not about you. It's not about you. We don't come to church for what we can get out of it. But it's, it's about how we can be part of that 1 Corinthians 12. How I can exercise my gift. You may just have the gift. And I don't mean just only. But it may be as simple as just being an encouragement. I think encouragement may be one of the greatest gifts there is. 
But we, we stimulate one another to, hey man, keep on, brother. Keep on, sister. We encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Man, this life is... I know you're going through it right now, but this life, man, we're not going to be here long and Christ is going to be back and we just lift one another up. We... My wife does this with me. And, and, and many of you have. We... You know, if, if you're down and you're going through a hard time, you can... Just by speaking truth and love, you can, you can help your brother or sister just get their thinking back where it needs to be. On Christ. And on, man, hey man, I'm for you. I'm not against you. Because the enemy will lie to us. The enemy's a liar. He, he, wants to, he wants us to believe these lies and these speculations that maybe they're against you. And these type of things. And so we need one another. Again, it's not isolating yourself. I've struggled with that over the years. I'll get down and I'll just want to isolate myself. That's a dangerous thing to do. And then 1 Peter 4.10, as each one, here it is, as each one has received a special gift. What does it say? Use it for your own good. No. It says employ it in serving one another. Again, all in the context of a called out assembly, right? It's not just called out individuals. It's called out assembly. We assemble together the congregation. That's part of that word, ecclesia. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So in other words, I would say, after looking at some of these benefits, I would say in love to my brother and sister who's resisting being a member of a church, you're missing out. You're missing out. If you can find a church where the, where the Word of God primarily, number one, is being preached weekly, and you can sit under that and grow, and be, and be uh, again, you're never going to find a perfect church, right? If you ever did, you know the saying it is, if you found a perfect church and you joined, you'd ruin it. We all would. Because there is no perfect church. So to sum all of this up that we've talked about, okay, what are we talking about when we talk about church membership? What, what, what are we talking about? It's, it's this, it gets back to commitment and accountability, okay? What, what, accountability, and so I, I would say commitment and accountability, but I would tell the person, don't be afraid of those words. Those are not words to be afraid of. Commitment. We've looked at commitment, all of these one another's, right? So we're committed to loving our brothers and sisters and they're committed to loving us. It's a loving one another. It's a giving of oneself and being a part of a body where they want to give back to you. And, and it's just a, it's a, it's a, not that there's, we're, we're still, we still guys are, are in our flesh. So there's going to be disagreements, but we learn to walk together, Right? Children of the same Father have the same Spirit. We love the same Christ. And we love one another. We do life together. So it's a commitment and, and an accountability. These are not things to be afraid of. Accountability. We, we should want to be accountable, right? That's part of walking in the light. And knowing that, man, brother, if you're struggling, you can come to me. 
I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna condemn you, I'm not gonna judge you, I'm struggling too. And so what what does this say, right? When one one when one is down, another comes. And, and aid to his brother or sister. And so we see this the two things committed to obeying Christ, because I think it makes it pretty clear. We're to be a part of a church. Call it what you want. If somebody says, well, I don't see the word membership, whatever, there's a commitment and accountability to be part of a church, to be counted, to be added, to be known. So we're committed to obeying Christ and we're committed to loving one another. Being there for one another. Being being the, the believer in another person's life who's trustworthy. Don't you love those kind of people? Man, I trust that brother. I can tell him anything. And I know that he's not going to forsake me. I know that he's not going to go gossip about me. I know that he's not going to look down on me. But it's being trustworthy. It's being faithful to one another. It's being the person, again, who others can trust. And committed to spurring on godliness in others as we run this race together. That's what it means to be a member of a local church that I see in the New Testament. And then in closing with this illustration, I'll say this. So what if I had told you, uh, let's see, what year is it? It's 2022. So, so 18 years ago when Trish and I were dating, what if I, or what if I told Trish that I loved her back then? I love you, hon. But just never wanted to marry her. And what would that mean? To vow to be hers. You see the difference? To vow to be hers until death do us part. I love you, but mm, nah. I don't want to marry you. What would you think? More importantly, what would she think? One thing. He's not committed. He's not committed. Maybe he's in it for the fringe benefits. But he's truly not committed to her. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank You for the gift of of the local church, God. Um, I have grown to, to love the reality, Lord, that You have placed us with each other. Uh, Father, I'm so glad. I'm so thankful that, that I don't have to run this race alone, Lord. Lord, but that You've given me... Father, first of all, you, You've given me my wife to be my helpmate. But Lord, You've given me, You've given all of us here, each other. Um, and, and Father, I am truly grateful for that, Lord. I know others in this room are truly grateful for that. We thank You for the gift of the church, Lord. The ecclesia, the called out assembly that we can be a part of, Lord. And it's just a small taste of being together in eternity. So Father, we thank You, Lord, for sending Your Son. We thank You for calling us, first of all, out of darkness, out of our sin. And we thank You for for placing us in this church, Lord. I thank You for this church. I thank You for those who are here, Lord. I thank You for their love for me and my family. I thank You for uh, the commitment that's here and how we love one another, Lord. And I just pray for Your blessings upon this flock, Lord. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.